Hi, hello, and welcome to this episode of The Lives and Styles of Old Hollywood. Today's episode is about Ava Gardner. She is number 25 on the American Film Institute's list of the greatest female screen legends of classic American cinema, and she's often referred to as one of the most glamorous actresses to have ever graced the big screen. Her marriages to stars like Mickey Rooney and Frank Sinatra made headlines just as much as a legendary beauty. So let's start at the beginning. Ava Lavinia Gardner was born on December 24, 1922 in North Carolina. She was the youngest of seven kids, with two older brothers and four older sisters. Their parents, Mary Elizabeth and Jonas Bailey, were of Scottish and Irish ancestry. They were rather poor sharecroppers, and unfortunately the family lost the land they worked when the kids were still young, and Mother Molly took on a job as a cook and housekeeper in a boarding house for teachers, which also provided room and board for the family. In 1931, when Ava was just nine years old, the school closed and the family had to move to Virginia, where Molly would manage a boarding house for ship workers. And when Ava was 15 years old, her father died of bronchitis. Thus, the family moved back to North Carolina, where Ava would finish high school and attend secretarial classes for a year. While following her courses, she visited her older sister Beatrice in New York. Beatrice was married to professional photographer Larry Tarr, who had his studio on Fifth Avenue. He offered to take the girl's portrait as a gift for their mother. The result was so great that he put the photograph in his shop window to showcase his work. This very photograph attracted Bernard Duan, who was working for Lois Theatre. Duan actually was a sketchy figure who would use Lois' subsidiary, MGM, as a lure for girls posing as a talent scout. He saw the photograph of Ava in a window and asked in the studio for her number. They did refuse to hand it out. Eventually, he gave up, but did say that somebody should send her information to MGM. And they did. A short while later, 18-year-old Ava traveled from North Carolina to MGM's East Coast office in New York City. They made a screen test with her, but did not record her voice. Because she had such a terrible southern drawl that nobody understood her anyways. Louis B. Mayer's reaction to her reel was, she can't sing, she can't act, she can't talk, she's terrific. And thus she exchanged her home for Hollywood at the age of 22 with a standard studio contract in her pocket and her sister by her side. Upon her arrival in Los Angeles, she was ordered a speech trainer, as well as a singing teacher, to get rid of her southern accent. She started as a walk-on in a Norma Shearer movie and acted for five years in mostly uncredited bit parts, until she played glamorous femme fatale Kitty Collins in Mark Hellinger's film noir The Killers, alongside Burt Lancaster in his film debut. From then onwards, she appeared in numerous high-profile movies. Amongst them were Showboat, The Snows of Kilimanjaro, Mogambo, alongside Clark Gable and Grace Kelly, The Barefoot Contessa, and Knights of the Round Table. As she projected an image of sophistication and glamour, she was often cast to portray noblewomen. For a role in 1964's The Night of the Iguana, Gardner received a nomination for a Golden Globe Award for Best Actress, as well as for a BAFTA Award for Best Actress in a Leading Role. Apparently, in 1966, Gardner wanted to play Mrs. Robinson in The Graduate and contacted Mike Nichols. But although it is about an older woman, a mother seducing a younger man, Nichols wanted to cast a younger woman. 
to clarify, Ava Gardner was 44 years old back then, and Bancroft, who pocketed the role, was 35. In the 1970s, Gardner mainly appeared in disaster movies, which were all the rage back then, like Earthquake in 1974, Cassandra Crossing in 1976, and City on Fire in 1979. Her last movie was Regina Roma in 1982. After that, she primarily acted on television, including a guest part in Knott's Landing in 1985. So, in short, she had a great career at MGM. But from a theatrical point of view, she did not have the successes, the trials and errors as some other great names of that era. And her talent, in the beginning masked by her insecurity, was only later recognized. Her lively and deep portrayal of complex women on the screen made her a legend. In 1968, Ava had relocated to London, where she lived until 1990. She moved there first and foremost to undergo an hysterectomy to keep herself from the uterine cancer that had killed her mother. But she stayed because of distance to Hollywood, which she very much enjoyed. For work, she traveled, but always came back. She died there in London at the age of 67 of pneumonia and fibrosing aleovitis. Her body was brought back to the US and interred next to her siblings and parents in Smithfield, North Carolina. What is most remarkable about Ava Gardner's career, as you can hear from Louis B. Mayer's comment, in the beginning she was not a great actress. She was definitely not chosen for her talent or her speech. She was chosen by MGM to become a contract actress because she was the perfect role material to mold a glamorous star from. From speech trainer and acting coach to skin and hair treatments, clothes, makeup and roles, as one documentary about her life says, they changed everything about Ava, stopping short at surgery, which they never forced on her. They molded Ava into what they thought a glamorous star looked like and behaved like and what the public wanted. What the real Ava wanted and who the real Ava was did not concern Hollywood. Another hit for her self-esteem was during filming Showboat. She trained very long and hard to sing and had acquired a beautiful singing voice. It wasn't perfect, but it was good enough. Nevertheless, as in those days everything had to be flawless and perfect, they dubbed her singing with a professional singer's voice, adding to Ava's insecurities. Ava never believed herself to be a good actress. As she once put it, us kids at MGM, we just have to look good. Ava had very low self-esteem, and the studio system enforced that feeling, that she was not okay the way she was, that she needed to be changed. She would turn to alcohol to numb this feeling and to loosen up. During filming of Showboat, she would sneak in booze to the set and have little drinking parties. Actually, one of the things that Ava Gardner is known for is her love for alcohol and partying. She lived for the nights, the clubs and the booze, and the men, if they were there. Her movie Night of the Iguana, which was filmed in Puerto Vallarta in Mexico, was one of those movies that was basically filmed around Ava Gardner, Richard Burton, Elizabeth Taylor and Tennessee Williams being drunk half the time. Director John Huston did not get bothered. Maybe he joined in the drinking. But Schulberg recalled about that time, you couldn't believe they were making a movie. When Ava filmed Mugambo or any other movie far away from Hollywood, she began to loosen up to become more herself. Basically, the farther away she got from Hollywood, the more herself she could be. That's why she relocated to Europe, 
to Madrid in Spain, to be exact, in 1955. Ernest Hemingway and Juan Perón were two of the gentlemen she encountered there. Exiled Argentinian dictator Juan Perón lived below Gardner's apartment in Madrid. At first, Ava, Perón and his second wife, Isabel, got on very well. Until the Perons couldn't stand Ava's partying anymore and complained. Ava, on the other hand, sent her dogs, corgis, to annoy the poodles of the Perons. Thus, Perón asked Franco, who actually was the man in power in Spain and had given asylum to Perón, for help. Franco sent guards to arrest Gardner. But, as she was having a party with American pilots at that very moment, they left to avoid international tensions. The other gentleman she met in Spain was Ernest Hemingway. Hemingway had a tremendous influence on Ava's life. First, because she starred in three film adaptations of his novels, The Killers in 1946, which was her breakthrough role, The Snows of Kilimanjaro in 1952, and The Sun Also Rises in 1957. These were also the roles that Ava excelled in because she felt such a strong connection to the female characters that Hemingway created. The first two movies were shot before Ava got to know Hemingway, and The Killers was Hemingway's favorite movie adaptation, as he generally disliked how Hollywood treated his work. It was in 1955 when Ava relocated to Spain and had entered into a relationship with bullfighter Luis Miguel Dominguin that she met Hemingway. It was in a hospital where Dominguin had brought her because of kidney stones. He stayed by her side all the time, except for the one time that he went away and came back with his close personal friend, Ernest Hemingway. Hemingway was amused and very impressed by the way Ava handled the conversation on the phone the moment that he entered her room. Apparently, she used very colorful language that seemingly got unnoticed by the nuns of the hospital that were present. That is the beginning of Ava's friendship with Hemingway that would last until 1961, when Hemingway died from suicide. Ava's own words from her autobiography about how they met were, Though I obviously wasn't crazy about the circumstances, I was delighted to meet Papa and absolutely floored that he'd take the time to visit me in a hospital. I just adored the man. I idolized him. In fact, we became friends from that moment on. Ava not only spent time with Hemingway in Spain, but also in Cuba, where Hemingway had a finca that he often traveled to. These two really liked each other and thought highly of each other. According to Hemingway's biographer, A. E. Hotchner, Hemingway said, Ava was the only woman who could outdrink me. She could party all night at flamenco bars and go straight to the studio and look beautiful, and then do it all again the next night. No one could keep up with her. Hemingway also told Harvey Prate, the American poet and close friend, that Ava had two sides to her personality. She could be sweet, attractive, witty and good fun but she also had a sharp tongue and could be an absolute devil. She suffered from a sense of inferiority and reacted violently to anyone who joked about her. Ava was absolutely shocked and saddened by Hemingway's passing, as they had formed a very unique, non-romantical, non-sexual bond over the years, and they had kept in lengthy male contact when not being together in person. Hemingway was one of Ava's most treasured friends, but there are many more friendships that marked her life. First, that would be Grace Kelly. 
Ava Gardner and Grace Kelly met on the set of Mogambo, on location in Africa. At first, Grace Kelly wasn't too fond of Ava Gardner and her wild ways of drinking and carefree partying. But in the end, it helped Kelly to loosen up and start an affair with Clark Gable. When touring Rome, these two were flirtatious and carefree and enjoyed life. A lifelong friendship resulted from these early days in the Congo. Chris Kelly even tried to hook up Ava with Aristotle Onassis, but Ava found him gross. The next important friendship is Marini Rene Jordan. Ava Gardner had an assistant, as most old Hollywood stars did back then. The first question Gardner asked her was whether she knew how to mix a martini. As Renee said no, Gardner apparently laughed and showed her. From then onwards, these two were inseparable. This is probably the most long-lasting, intimate and close friendship that Ava had in her life. Another friendship was with Howard Hughes. The crazy aviator and Hollywood eccentric had a huge crush on Ava and did make advances often. He was basically obsessed with her. But Ava never fell for him and never thought much of the whole thing. But he did make her mad and they had fights, even physical ones. But it was a friendship that lasted many years, although it was volatile. And the last very intense friendship was with Gregory Peck. Ava starred with him in three movies. The Great Sinner in 1949, The Snows of Kilimanjaro in 1952 and On the Beach in 1960. After her death, Peck took her beloved housekeeper Carmen Vargas and her Corgi Morgan in. Peck and Ava refer to each other as great old pals. As Renee puts it in her autobiography, Living with Ms. Chi, Gregory Peck also recognized Ms. Chi's immense potential and tried to encourage her to believe in her talent and work at it. She never did. She lacked that ambition and lacked that confidence. She made her mark because she was always playing herself, her natural self. And in the words of Gregory Peck himself in Ava's autobiography, Ava, My Story, she herself was not overly ambitious about becoming a great actress. Yet she did constantly improve, and at her best, I think she could certainly be counted among the better actresses on the screen. What Peck admired about Ava was that they had so much in common. It was like we were young people from the same hometown. We both were products of middle class, small American towns where everybody knew everybody. And it was on that basis that we struck up an immediate friendship. Ava was also outspoken, and there was something refreshing about that, because sometimes she'd be outspoken when other people would be afraid to. That, to me, shows a strength of character and a kind of crossroads middle American honesty she has. And despite the adoration and the deep friendship these two shared, they were never romantically involved with each other. Well, when it comes to romance, of course, Ava's good looks attracted a lot of men. And Ava Gardner in total married three times, but the men she had were quite a few more. Ava's first love and husband was fellow MGM star Mickey Rooney. It was actually on her first day that Ava was shown around the MGM lot that these two met, and Rooney fell for her the very minute he saw her, and he wore her down until she gave him her number. The same happened with his marriage proposal. Initially, she said no, but he asked so many times that she finally said yes. As they were both under contract with MGM, Louis B. Mayer had to give his blessings, which he did. But fearing for Mickey Rooney's popularity, they had to marry way upstate in a very small ceremony. Well, one year later, 
they divorced. Then Gardner fell in love with band leader Artie Shaw, who had previously been married to Gardner's good friend Lana Turner. Ava Gardner risked her career living with him without a marriage certificate. The clean-cut goody two-shoes image of MGM stars was threatened. Finally, in 1945, Shaw and Gardner tied the knot, but divorced only one year later. One of the reasons were the differences in intellectual interests. Shaw wanted Gardner to educate herself and read Schopenhauer in philosophy. And apparently, Shaw caught Gardner reading Forever Ember by Catherine Wilson and threw the book across the room as it was mainstream. Irony being, Shaw later got married to Catherine Wilson, to that author, that very year. Ava's most talked about relationship was with husband number three, Frank Sinatra. Sinatra was married to Nancy when they met, but Ava and Frank fell fast and hard for each other and had a relationship nevertheless. And they got married in 1951 when the Sinatra finally left Nancy for her. The marriage was tumultuous. Times got tough when Sinatra's career was declining and he even struggled to book a nightclub gig. Ava used her influence and got Sinatra a pardon from here to eternity in 1953, which revived his career. Ava did become pregnant, a dream she had dreamt for a long time, to become a wife and a mother. Nevertheless, she got an abortion without Sinatra's knowing because of the MGM contract clauses about pregnancies. Actually, Ava and Frank suited each other well. They both liked to party, they liked to drink, they both had a temper, and they were both incredibly jealous. It was an explosive cocktail that finally led to their divorce in 1953, although both of them would claim for the rest of their lives that the other was the love of their lives. As a niece of Ava would later put it, they couldn't live together nor stay apart. They stayed friends until Ava's death. Frank Sinatra called her right after her stroke in 1986 and footed her medical pills. Frank also helped her with a relationship that was anything but great, with the Bible The Beginning co-star George C. Scott. As per usual, Ava fell fast and hard, and during filming they began an affair. But passion turned into violence, and Ava found herself badly bruised and hurt with broken bones. Ava's assistant, Renee, called Frank when she didn't hear from Ava for quite a while, knowing that Ava and Scott were together in Connecticut. Two hours after the call, Ava returned home. When Ava moved to Madrid, right after the breakup from her marriage with Sinatra, she launched herself into the Spanish lifestyle and into the love of bullfighting, something she shared with Ernest Hemingway. She fell in love with Luis Miguel Dominguin and had an affair with him for a couple of years. One of the men that Ava Gardner tried to win over was Fidel Castro. Ava Gardner was politically very outspoken and a liberal democrat, so much so that her first husband, Mickey Rooney, would call her a red. In 1959, with Castro was still seen as a liberator by Americans, Ava, then aged 37, met Castro at the Havana Hilton in Cuba. And they got along very well. Too well, actually. Castro's mistress and translator, Marita Lorenz, was highly jealous and tried to keep Ava from Castro which ended in Gardner calling Lawrence a little bitch and slapping her in the face. Well, Castro decided that this was too much scandal and got rid of Ava by fixing her up with an aide who had the order to satisfy her in a suite at a national hotel, compliments of Cuba. 
This sounds so dramatic and fabulous at the same time. I cannot say with certainty that this is how it went down, but her biography by Lee Sever says so. Ava Gardner's style is much more than just her clothes. It was her fun and adventurous way to see the world, to meet people, to have fun and to be fun. Although her choice of clothes, both on and off set, have made a lasting impact on fashion. Ava chose figure-flattering tailored clothes and gowns and sophisticated casual wear as staples of her wardrobe. Her black dress from The Killers counts among the most iconic black dresses and inspired subsequent costume and fashion designers. She influenced fashion by appearing on over 250 magazine covers worldwide. Amongst them were Look, Elle, Time, People and Vogue. She was actually a strong person, very athletic, who enjoyed being active and outdoors. She engaged in sports up until her latest years in London, when she still walked several miles a day to keep fit. Most of all, though, Eva Gardner is remembered by family, friends and fans for her humanity, her respect for everybody, her open-mindedness and unpretentious ways of seeing and meeting the world, the people. Brought up in the segregated South, Ava would become one of the most outspoken people of her time to embrace people of all ethnicities and races. Her closest friend throughout the years being her assistant of color, Renee. She helped wherever and whenever she could, got to know her neighbors and believed in being there for each other and helping each other out. She was also very much inspired by the gypsies in Spain. She even spent a night together with Renee in one of their caves where they lived, drinking, being and singing with them. She loved their community and their free spirit. All in all, Eva Gardner was a role model, not in the sense of achieving the perfect figure and the perfect manicure, but in the sense of how to show up as a human being and how to lead an independent and self-reliant life. Eva called the shots. She created her life. And despite broad assumption, she was the one financing all her husbands throughout their marriage. So, Eva Gardner's style is as much about designer, tailor-made clothes as it is about an open mind, unpretentiousness and being a human being in a community and in one world with others. Eva definitely is a style icon to imitate. And as always, there are lessons to be learned from Eva Gardner's life. First, live life. You will make friends, see places and make a great living if you just embrace life and go on with it. Be curious about what is ahead of you and just dive in and just enjoy life. Second, believe in yourself, always and without exception. You are capable, you are worthy, you are enough. This is the one thing that brought Ava down, the low self-esteem. You have to be your best friend, you have to believe in yourself. That is the most important thing in life. Third, in order to love, you need to be free. You need to be free from jealousy, free from neediness, free from self-doubt, free from money problems and people. Eva Gordon's relationship with Frank Sinatra, the love of her life, was impossible because of the individual issues. Real love and lasting relationships are only possible when you are at peace with yourself and when you feel whole as a person yourself. And the fourth, you are part of humankind. You need to treat everybody with the respect that you expect from others. We are all together in this, flowing through space. Just be open-minded. Stay down to earth. Be there for those who need you. Get to know your neighbors. 
I think this is a wonderful lesson you can learn from one of the most glamorous and beautiful actresses of all times. So I hope you learned a thing or two about Ava Gardner that you didn't know before. And I can't wait to talk to you again next week. Bye.